morning again. How's everybody doing? Are we having a good, good morning overall? It's tough. This is the time in the year in Cleveland where, like, you know, you, you think summer is coming, but it isn't. Like, it feels like it, but like you, you are really. We have like six snowstorms left before we actually get to like go outside and grill with like joy in our hearts. Right? So it's kind of a weird. March is always this weird, like dark before the dawn kind of time in Cleveland. So, what is faith? When you, when you hear that word, like what, what does it mean to you uh, culturally or for your own life or for the people that you know around you in your sphere of influence? Kind of what, what does that word bring up for you? Is it, you know, maybe for you, faith is this idea of belief in something. Right? Well, faith would mean, this is what a lot of the culture would tell us if we talk to people in the world of various backgrounds, we would probably hear something along the lines of that. Well, faith is a, is a belief in something. Um, maybe, you know, if we apply it to religious context, it's a, a faith in a higher power, right? You might even go so far as a faith in, in a god, right? Some people might say faith is the belief that something intelligent made the world. Um, some people might say faith is is trust that my spouse will remain faithful to me, right? You see, we use that word in all kinds of contexts that really, many of which have stuff to do with, with religion, with Christianity, but others don't, right? I, I have faith that my car will start when I walk out the door today. Uh, I'm not so sure, actually, but right? <laughs> you know, maybe. Right? Faith means different things. I, I have faith that perhaps that God is real. Maybe I even have faith that Whatever, whatever God is, that ultimately he's good. Faith can mean a whole bunch of different things, but while these are all somewhat good definitions, if we look at biblically what faith is, they're, they're not necessarily bad, but they're probably incomplete to a degree, right? When we talk about faith in Scripture, there's some very specific ways in which the Bible means to apply that word to our hearts and minds. And so it's important, right, because we as, as Christians, what do we believe? That we are saved through what alone? In who alone? Right? Through what alone? You can tell, like, there's the Reformed 101, 201, and 301 people in the room, right? The first one everybody got, and the second one I'm like, Jesus, God? And the third one, Grace, Grace, that one. Yeah, I named my daughter after that. How did I forget? Right? We, we believe that we are saved through faith alone. And so it's probably pretty important that we have a grasp on what exactly it is. Because right? is, is faith a belief in God? If I believe God is real the way four-year-old me believed Santa was real, does that make me a Christian that's saved? Because I say, I think God is real. Right? Or is there more to this idea of faith? And what does it mean in our lives? And so today, um, we're going to dig into that a little bit. But first, uh, there's a beautiful passage in Hebrews that kind of sets the tone for what we're talking about today in Genesis. And it's Hebrews 11.1. It just simply says this. Faith is, it's great, we get a definition, the assurance of things hoped for, that's number one, comma, the conviction of things not seen. So it's a little bit vague. It sounds like something that maybe like Gandalf would say or Aslan, right? You know, in a moment of, of, of depth in the movie, he might come and say, well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And you might go, well, that's great, but what, what does that actually mean for us, right? Our passage today helps us dig into what faith 
is. Um, and it's, it's not a particularly difficult passage, if we understand it properly. So it might, at the surface, seem like it's harsh, but it really, it really isn't. It's, it's a little bit unbelievable in the culture that we live in today. But it's not necessarily a hard passage, so to speak. So this morning, I want to look at Genesis 22. Uh, and it's the call of sacrificing Isaac. It's Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac. And so we'll, we'll read that passage uh, from 1 to 19, and then we'll dig in a little bit into what is going on in this. So I would invite us to stand. Uh, if you're new, we stand uh, to read scripture uh, for no weird liturgical reason, but just as a kind of a neat sign of, of reverence, right? What I say is interesting, perhaps, hopefully, but what God says is holy. And so we don't stand when I talk, but we do stand when we read Scripture. And so listen along to Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And, if your offspring sh and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. Hopefully, this has not been your parenting experience. Uh, 
I'm going to go ahead on a limb and assume that for those of you in the room who are parents, that you've never heard the Lord call to you and say, hey, I need you to get up and go down to Kent um, tomorrow morning and offer your, your only son as a sacrifice. Right? That's not something that we think of as normative in any way. Right? And so it's, it's this crazy kind of passage. And if you recall, Isaac was a very special child. Right? When, when God first comes to Abraham, he comes to him in a fairly old age. And he says, look, Abraham, I, I want you to come to this land that I'm giving you. And I'm going to make from you the nations, as, as we just had reiterated, a, a nation that is as large as descendants as there are stars or sand on the seashore. Right? And, and so for you to have descendants, you need to have children. But when you're like over 100 years old, right, children isn't really something that you're thinking about anymore. Right? Today, once you get into the 40s, you start to think, well, I don't know. Maybe, right? So Abraham still walks with the Lord. We go through the things we've gone through. We see him call as a nation. We see him wrestle and help and save Lot. We see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and God comes to Abraham and tells him about that. And then he reiterates at that point the promise. We read about this last week. And he says, look, a year from now, you're going to be looking at your son. And, and Abraham, faithful as he is, I'm sure at some point had to have been like, okay. Like, we'll see, I guess. But here we are. He has his son, and his name is Isaac. Isaac means laughter. The Lord commanded him and Sarah to name their son Isaac because when he said they're going to have a son, Sarah and him laughed. So God goes, you want some irony? Here's your son. His name is Ha-Ha. <laughs> and every time you call Ha-Ha to dinner, you're going to be reminded of the fact that when you laugh at God's promises, he just smiles and says, hold on. I'm going to come through for you. And you're going to be reminded that when I say I'm going to do something, Abraham, I'm going to do that thing. Right? You can laugh all you want. I'm going to make it happen because I'm God and you're not. And so he has Isaac. And Isaac is the golden child. Not because he's somehow special. Not because he's favorited or anything like that. He's the only one. But through Isaac is the means to the promise that God had made. Not just to have a son, but to have descendants. Right? If you are a parent, and you are going to hope to carry that family line on, right? You need children. That's why if you're newlywed, that's why your parents are bugging you about grandbabies. They want to snuggle with them, and they want the family line to keep going. So, you know, give them a break when they ask you about grandbabies. You can tell all your grandchildren or children that are married that I said that, right? But here's Isaac, and he has the promise within him. And so here we come to the beginning of Genesis 22, and God comes to Abraham. And the beautiful thing that we see is that Abraham's response, whenever God says, hey, Abraham, it's not, uh, yeah, what's up? It's always the same phrase, here I am. Right? It's like the, the, the language, the verbiage of here I am, when we, when we translate it, it's almost like this, this soldier's attention, right? Like, Abraham, yes. What, what do you have for me to do, Lord? Right, I'm ready. Give me my marching orders, and here I go. Right, there's not a... I'm tired. It's not like a teenager playing video games that you're calling to have clean up something. Right, he's ready. Immediate. Here I am. And then we have this crazy thing laid upon him. He says, I want you to take your son. And, and God makes known that it's a significant thing, right? He hams it up. I want you to take your son, Abraham your only son whom you love. And I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar as a burnt offering. 
And, and the passage glosses over what it means to sacrifice something on the altar as a burnt offering. So let me walk you through this a little bit. Usually this is animals, right? This is a kind of a unique situation. But what they would do is they would take the animals, a lamb, a lot of times, and they would take the lamb and they would cut its throat until it bled out. And then they would dismember the animal into all its pieces. And then they would make a giant fire on the altar and they would burn entirely that animal and all of the pieces up. This is gruesome ugly stuff. And, and, and Abraham would have been familiar with this idea of, of sacrifice. He would have even seen in his culture, pre-God calling him, certain degrees of human sacrifice happening. And so Abraham has a visual understanding and a background knowledge of what God is asking him to do here. He can picture what it would look like to do that to his own golden promised child. Right? And so perhaps because of that, his you know, the request is barbaric, but Abraham's response is pretty shocking as well. I'm not sure which one is crazier. Uh, the fact that God asks for a child sacrifice or the fact that Abraham's reply is to just go. Right? We're told it's a test. Abraham didn't know this. He says, yeah. And so the next morning, what does it say? He got up and he started making preparations. I don't know about you. If God came to me, I hope to think I'd be obedient, but man, if he was asking me to sacrifice my son Graham, I probably would have at least like two follow-up questions before I would go. Right? Like the first would be really, and the second would be how can I get out of this? You know, what else can I give you? Anything but that. I think that's part of why God asks for Isaac. Because all of us have our anything but that don't we? God, you can have all of me. Just don't take that. Don't take my safety. Don't take my security. Don't take my children. Don't take my spouse's health. Don't take those things from me. You can have everything else, but just, right? And so he demands the one thing that Abraham probably wants more than anything else, not to give up. But Abraham's reply is just to get up and go. No questions asked. It's intense, right? He asks nothing. God demands, Abraham obeys beautifully, quickly, flawlessly, efficiently. Right? It says that the next morning he got up and he made preparations. And if you look at the order of the preparations, you can tell that he's distraught because some of the things he does aren't in the order you would normally do them. Like he saddles the, the horse or the donkey, right? and then he starts cutting firewood. And like some of the things he's doing in the order don't make sense. So you can tell his mind is obviously distraught. He's not just like, a, oh yeah, take my kid. Right? But, but he's distraught and he gets ready and it says that he brought two men with them, presumably servants or helpers or hired workers or something, right, to come along probably to carry gear or wood or all that kind of good stuff. And so the four of these men set out to the land that God is calling them to and they get there. And when they arrive, we get the first glimpse of Abraham kind of starting to understand this as a test. He gets to the, to the bottom of the mountain, and he tells the two men, hey, stay back. And he gives them a really generic reason. He goes, my, my son and I are going to go um, worship. Yeah, worship. Well, what do you, what do you, what's the wood for? Are you doing a sacrifice? We're, we're just going to worship. Um, do some worshiping. Because if he would have said we're going to go offer a sacrifice, well, where's the lamb? Right? These guys know what's going on. They would have asked questions. So he says, look, we're going to go up the hill and worship. You stay here. We'll, we'll. And he says this, we will both return. Right? 
And so Abraham, even as he's going up the mountain to sacrifice his son, he seems to have a confidence that the two of them are going to go up, and somehow the two of them are going to come down. So we see this glimpse of, of, of faith. He kind of understands the Lord. God, Abraham's not, not insane. He knows that the Lord is good. That doesn't make it any less difficult to follow the, the, the command. It doesn't make it any less probable that he's actually going to have to sacrifice his son. We're not 100% sure what we are supposed to believe about what Abraham has going on in his mind. But we get a small glimpse if we go a little further along in Hebrews. Here's Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's the words of Hebrews. And so we get this idea, maybe, right, maybe Abraham's thought was, I'm going to actually have to kill my son, but God is good and God is all-powerful. I've seen God do things that no one else can do. And, and if the promise is that through Isaac will the nations come, well, then Isaac's going to live and through Isaac will the nations come. And, and even death isn't going to stop God from doing what he's supposed to do. And so he walked up there with all the confidence that he's going to do what God says. He's going he's to butcher up his son. He's going to burn him up. And then they're both going to somehow walk down. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He didn't understand what was going to go on. But he knew somehow that God was good and faithful and just. Right? He knew that God isn't the kind of God that just says, hey, I want to sacrifice your child. Burn him up. And after the burning up, he says, thanks. Go about your day. Right? That's not in line with the character of God as Abraham understands it to be. Right? But... He goes willingly up the hill. And as they're walking up, perhaps this is the most awkward father-son encounter in recorded human history. They're walking up. It's a sacrifice. Isaac knows there's a sacrifice. There's the fire. There's the knife. There's the wood. Isaac's doing the math, and he goes, Hey, Dad, where's the lamb? I always think the walk down the hill had to be a little more awkward, right? What was that? But they're walking up, and his reply is this, what? God will provide the lamb. We see the second instance of trust and faith that God is good. Abraham says, listen, whatever happens up here, God's going to provide what he needs to provide for this to go however it needs to go so that God might get the glory. For whatever reason, Isaac just accepts that at face value. I would have been like, how do you know there's a lamb up there? You're looking at me funny. You've got tears in your eyes. Something's up. I am faster than you, right? Like, sometimes we have to look at these stories from a human perspective, right? But they go up the hill, and Abraham is in a situation where he is absolutely obedient to God. As we continue on, we see this, this huge picture. He noticed everything is set and ready, and, and the lamb isn't there, and, and he says the lamb will be there, and so they walk in faith, and what happens next is he takes out the knife, and he's ready to go. Abraham is in this situation, living out... 100% Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? As he's obedient to God, he is assured of all the things hoped for. And he is absolutely convinced of what he's not able in the moment to see. He is so in tune with understanding that when God says something, it's yes and amen, that he is completely assured 
And he acts as someone who knows that God is going to come through every step of the way. That's why there's no hesitation. That's why there's complete faith. That's why in the conversations he has with the two servants and Isaac, he's constantly, look, God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. Let's just do what God asked me to do. If we listen and obey, God will provide. And he lifts up the knife. And as he goes to cut him, what happens? God intervenes. He takes the knife and he moves to kill. And God stops him and he yells out. He says, Abraham, stop. I've seen enough. I'm satisfied in my testing of you. And then he commands him in response to these actions. He says, I I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son. He goes, look, I know what you hold dear more than anything in this world. And I've just seen you throw that away for my sake when I've asked you to. And in response, God pronounces blessings. He commends his faith. Because if he's not going to hold back Isaac, he's not going to hold back anything else either. He is completely and utterly in the hands of the Lord in his, in his service. And it's not a lunacy. We might think, well, the willingness to sacrifice your kid when God says so would be lunatic. It's not lunacy if we know that God is good and willing to come through. Right? It's lunacy if we don't have the assurance of the things we hope for and the conviction of those things which we can't yet see. And I love that the story concludes by God providing a ram at the end. He says, stop, now I trust you. I know that you've come through. I've tested you sufficiently. I know you won't hold anything back from me. By the way, look over in in the the bush over there. Yeah, there's a ram. Take that instead. I, I just love it. Abraham said God would provide the sacrifice, and Abraham was right. God did provide the sacrifice. And so what do, we, what do we do with a passage like this that culturally seems to have very little relevance to us? Well, two things. Number one, we have to understand that God does test his people. That, that might be a real kind of tough pill to swallow because, well, God doesn't do that still today, does he? Yes, God will test you. God will put you through your paces and see what you're made of at times. Now, this is important. Not every struggle you face means God is testing you. Some of us, we go through something in life, we get hit with some diagnoses, or we lose somebody, or we lose our jobs, or we get in a car accident. Oh, this is just God testing me. Not everything that happens to you that's awful is God testing. Some of the things that happen to you are awful because they're just awful. Because sin is a part of the world and a reality in it. And, and it just stains everything that we touch, and, and then the whole creation is a mess. Sometimes things just happen because the world is full of sin. But there are times in your struggles where the Lord might be testing you. It's probably not the norm, but it can and it will happen. And he will sometimes test you. So sometimes when you're suffering through something, when you're struggling through something, it's worth praying, God, what, what is this about? If this is some kind of way of you trying, like, like, let me be faithful and show me what you're doing, right? And you walk with them and you just say, God, let, let, let there be clarity. Is this just because the, the world is a sinful place or is this because you're doing something? But for those of us who say, well, God would never put you to the test. Yeah, he kind of would. And he does it for your own sake. He does it to grow you to shape you, to mold you into the person he wants you to be. Do you think Abraham was more or less in step and trusting of God after or before this event? 
He goes, look, I obeyed and gave you everything, and you came through for me. So God will test us. Second, we learn through this account what Hebrews 1.1 looks like tangibly boots on the ground. What do we say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. It's important to understand here that there's a difference between belief and assurance or conviction, right? If I was at a roulette table at a casino, which I don't generally spend time in, and I kind of believe that it was going to hit red next, I don't know, I had like a real good gut feeling about it, I might throw like 20 bucks down, whatever the minimum that you have to put. But if I was standing at that same table and I was assured, like absolutely convinced, convicted, not like irrationally, but like I, I, I just knew, I knew it was going to hit red. Man, you bet my entire life savings would go there. I would take out a loan, like a second mortgage, and run there with the cash. And I, I would throw every penny that I could somehow muster onto that red. And I'd double it, and then I'd double it again, and again, and again. See, there is a difference between mere belief and an assurance of the things we hope for and a full-blown, fail-proof conviction of that which we cannot see. Faith is not the belief in things heard. Faith is not the, the hope for God's goodness and victory someday. Faith isn't saying, I believe God is real and I, I hope he's good. Faith is absolute certainty of the things that we hope for that God promises and an absolute conviction of those things that God promises us which we today cannot yet see. It means that for those of us who have faith that God's promises might as well already be realized even though they're not yet. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. When he says that 100-plus-year-old couple is going to have a kid, it's going to happen. When he says he's going to provide the sacrifice, he's going to provide the sacrifice. When he says he's going to build a great nation, he will build a great nation. When he says that he will send his only son to redeem us from our mess and sin, it happens. And when he says that same son is coming back to deal with sin and pain and suffering once and for all, might as well be done already. That's what faith means. And so for us, there is this yes and amen to the things that God promises. And we might as well already be completed. What God says he's going to do for the Christian who says, I have faith, is in the books. It's not a hope. It's not a maybe. It's not a, I'm going to kind of live my life in that direction, but like I'm going to have some backup plans too, right? It's an absolute conviction. And so let me ask a meddling question. How much of your life and my life, right? I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. How much of our lives are lived as if God's promises are absolutely accomplished and completed? Versus we think they might someday be accomplished and completed. How much of our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, probably less than you'd like, right? We we all have these things in our lives that we we don't want to give to the Lord. We cling to these things because there's this part of us as, as small and back of our mind and maybe even subconscious as it is, there's a part of us in our sinful nature that just doesn't like fully trust it. Right? And so we, we just kind of need to grasp to the safety plan a little bit. 
come to church, we'll, we'll give our, our tithe, we'll, we'll serve on committees or on mission and in the community, we'll, we'll love our neighbors and we'll invite them in. But man, like, there's, there's just, we're going to keep some parts of our life to ourselves in case this whole God thing doesn't pan out. Right? We, we all do that. And if we're honest, we're not fully assured and convicted. If we were, our lives would reflect it. Not a single church of people that proclaim the name of Christ that you have ever walked into or ever will walk into has actually been full of people that live out the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. We all do it. We all have aspects of things we hold back. This isn't a a guilt trip. It's just the way we are as sinners in the sight of God. And what's important to remember here is this is not a passage designed to guilt us when it comes to this stuff. The goal here this morning isn't that you go, I don't give the things I I want to God and that makes me a bad Christian and I need to buck up and really nail down and work on that. And Pastor Vince made me feel bad about myself as I went home and so I need to give more. That that is in no way the goal of today. There's an element of which this whole passage causes us to say, am I fully faithful in all areas of life? And do I maybe need to change in some ways, right? That's conviction and that's good and you should go home and think about those things. But this passage is not about that. This passage is about the ram. The whole entirety of this account of Abraham is about the very, very, very end when he stops him and provides in the bushes the ram. And here's the thing I want you to hear. What Genesis 22 teaches you and I that whenever you are faithful, whenever you do act in assurance and conviction, and whenever you do walk in that obedience, in whatever area of life we're talking about, when you do that, whenever it is, whatever it is, God will, absolutely will provide. This passage is about God's certain provision. And part of why God tests Abraham, it's not for his own benefit. He knows what Abraham's going to do. It's not like he needs Abraham to do something more important. And he goes, look, I'm going to put him through the paces first to see if he's up up to it. And then you passed. Okay, you can go do the nation thing, right? No, the whole point of the test is for the growth of Abraham's own heart. What happens after this? Abraham trusts God more. Why? Because he came, he stepped out in faith, and the Lord provided And so the next time he'll step out in faith more and the Lord will provide more. And on and on and on. And every time Abraham steps out in faith in an area of his life where he hadn't before, God will provide there and he'll see and be reassured of that trust that he has in his God. And then he'll step out more and more and more. And as he gets older, he'll surrender more and more and more and more of his life, deeper and deeper and deeper to God because he realizes that when he does that, God comes through and provides every time. Do you know what we call that? A fancy word? Sanctification. That's what Christian growth is all about. It's that we say, you know what, I'm going to give you this, even though I'm scared. But I'm going I'm to act as if I'm certain of your goodness and your mercy. And then he comes through. And you go, wow, that's pretty great. I'm going to give you more of myself. And then he comes through. Wow, this is really great. I'm going to give you more until eventually we've given him our all. God doesn't try to guilt you. Into, into having more faith. What you need to do is go home, read your Bible more, and just have more faith. No, God woos you with his provision and his love. And as you step out more and more 
in all the various areas of life that you're clutching to this world, as you just start to loosen your grip more and more, man, you just become aware of how awesome and wonderful and providing God actually is in your life. And you're going to want to be, you're going to be tripping over yourself to give more of yourself to him. You're not going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight not to. That's what it's all about. The thing to take away is that when we are faithful, God provides. When you surrender parts of your life to him, God will provide. When you decide to trust him when the culture doesn't, God will provide. When you offer forgiveness and grace to the people in your life that are difficult to love, God will provide. When you witness genuinely and honesty at work, even though you're not supposed to, God will provide. As you grow in faith more and more, living with assurance and conviction, God will provide because by nature, God is a God of provision. Let's pray. God, we we love you. We love you so deeply, and we're so grateful for your provision in our lives. We're grateful for the, the provisions that we read of in Scripture of your Son as a sacrifice for our sins. We're grateful for the provision of your bounty that you provide to us in this world, the things that we tangibly enjoy, the fact that we have food on the table every single day. We're thankful for the fact that when you call us, you provide for us, and you love us so deeply. Lord, we ask that you would build within us through testing an increased amount of assurance and conviction. Lord, that we wouldn't go home and feel guilt and the need to kind of buck up and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, Lord, but that you would, man, that you would convict us, test us, grow us, shape us into the people you want us to be. That you would just keep taking a little bit more from us so that we can see your provision. And that slowly over time, we might learn to trust you. Be with us as we do that. Be with us as we seek your face in this world. Be with us and remind us of your truth. Lord, as the world tells us that you're not worth it, as the world tells us that you won't come through, as the world tells us that if we put our trust in you, we'll be left standing there empty and alone, help us know that those things are lies. Help us see your provision. and Speak louder than the world does. We love you and we praise you. And all his people said, Amen. Amen.